the greatest texts in the scripture. We're looking at Exodus chapter 20. We're in the, the Ten Commandments tonight. The children of Israel are finally there at Mount Sinai. And if you were here last week, it was an exciting chapter, chapter 19, where God was preparing the people, and they are, they are just, right now, they are shaking in their boots. They are so afraid because they're, they're encountering God. I think, uh, I always think about God, and we, we see God as Jesus, but these people see God, and they're afraid. They've been in bondage for almost 400 years. They've been in a real idolatrous uh, country, Egypt, and God is going to prove to them that he's in control and that he wants all of their attention, and he's going to make a brand new nation. They, again, they've been in, in uh, Egypt. So this chapter is so important. Uh, the the uh, Ten Commandments, we're going to take them uh, one at a time tonight. I'm just going to do an overview because this, this section is so crucial to your understanding of really the rest of the Bible. Uh, we're going to start this Sunday night. Pastor Chris is going to be starting a study in Leviticus, and we'll be co-teaching that as well. He starts this Sunday night. If you want to know what Numbers and Leviticus and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, even Deuteronomy, they're all about the law. And if you, the only way you can understand those books is to know this chapter. This chapter is the key, really, that opens up understanding. And just like Daniel, the book of Daniel helps you understand what revelation is. It's this chapter in the Ten Commandments that help you understand the rest of this Old Testament what, the mosaic books, these books, the Pentateuch, the first five books of your Bible. So it's this chapter that's the key for Sunday night. I hope you're going to plan on coming Sunday night. It should be awesome. Uh, again, it was co- we co-teach it. It'll be Pastor Chris, uh, Daniel Barrios, and myself. But it's going to be a great study through uh, Leviticus. So uh, tonight we're in uh, chapter 20. Uh, it, like I said, we're going to do an overview, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But um, as we move into uh, the study, I want to pray. I want to pray for the mediation that's coming up this Friday. I told you about Sunday morning. This Friday is mediation day, and I'll be with the lawyer for hours. They told me to bring a book or whatever. I'm going to study. I'll be studying for Sunday. But uh, mediation with our lawyers um, and the, uh, the uh, plaintiff there uh, on Friday right here in town. So we need prayer for that. And I talked to Jeannie Sue just a, about an hour ago. Um, as you know, our missionary for 24-some-odd years down in Mexico, Jeannie has cancer. But the cancer is in her uterus, it's, it's what they call stage two. In other words, it's confined. Um, and they're, they're planning. She's been up here every once a, a day for the last seven weeks doing pre-op work. She has a really good doctor. Uh, she was at the University of Irvine Medical Center last. That's going to be the doctor that does surgery, but she does all her pre-op stuff here in Redlands. So she's been going back and forth and back and forth. And she's really comfortable with the doctors. And she's going to have this this uh, operation that's going to just take her uterus out. And the doctor really believes that it's contained within the uterus right now. So that's, that really is excellent news, church. We've been praying, and God's answering your prayers. So we'll continue to pray for her too. And she's hoping to get up here during the week of prayer, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. When I get back, uh, we leave Sunday for the, our Greece trip, and we'll be back on the 29th for the first uh, night of the week of prayer, Sunday night. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, we'll be praying each night. Worship, a little prayer study, and prayer on those nights as well. So Jeannie's going to come back. You'll see her one of those nights. We'll lay hands and pray for her uh, on, on one of those nights. But I'm excited to get into our study and pray for those really important items. Uh, let's do that right now. Father, we come before you really trembling. Uh, we, we do. We are in awe and in wonder of how powerful you are. And we, Lord, come before you asking on behalf of your daughter, our sister in Christ, Jeannie Sue. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring healing to her body as she prepares, Lord, for the operation. There's some health issues, weight issues, heart issues, issues that she really needs to work toward. And I pray, Father, that you'd help her. Prepare her, Lord, for that surgery that is going to happen in the future. And uh, in the meantime, Lord, we just pray for her and ask that you'd encourage her, comfort her. Um, we we want to stand in the gap for her 
in prayer. We also pray for this Friday, the mediation, and ask God that we could settle out of court this uh, issue with this property. And Lord, that you would just take from us the burden of the monthly payment and this property from us so that we could get back to doing ministry and and missions work, Lord. I'd like to see us be able to do that. Uh, So we pray for your hand and your guidance and your will. And then tonight, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, won't you inspire us and teach us, help us to understand this portion of scripture, this very important giving of the law. I pray that we would would learn, Lord, as we look at this section of Scripture. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law. That's this chapter, chapter 20, is all about. And it's so interesting as we look at it. You know, it's, it's God giving his standards to a people that have been wild, I mean, they've been living in the wild for hundreds of years in Egypt, and God is going to establish uh, who they are and what they do. He's going to give them his moral law and his law as well. This is very, very important, again, for us to understand. So what I'm going to do tonight is kind of do an overview to help us understand why, why God gives these laws, 10 of them, to the children of Israel. There's some, like 600, I think it's 613 laws when you look at the book of Numbers and Leviticus and, and Exodus. When you look at all of there's there's about 500 and some, there's a lot of laws. But these 10 are the ones that really set apart the nation of Israel, the children of Jacob or the children of Israel, all his family that, that are under the covenant. They're under a covenant right now of God. God is protecting them, as we've seen miraculously, right? God is leading them. We've seen that. God has called them. He's he's delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, which represents sin. They've been taken out of sin, just like you and I are taken out of sin when we, we come to Christ. And these people have been delivered from the bondage of Egypt, and they've been out for three months. God has done miraculous things. He provided water. He's provided daily food, manna. He's done these remarks, the cloud by day, the fire by night. He's provided, he's shown them, he's led them. But they haven't been obedient, have they? Take us back to Egypt. You know, they're always whining. They haven't obeyed Moses. So the, chapter 19 was God showing them that you're going to listen to Moses. Remember, Moses goes up and down and up and down and up and down in, in chapter 19. And that was to help the people understand that Moses was the mediator Just as Jesus is our what? What is he? He's our mediator, Jesus. So Moses is a picture of Christ in this story, as many of the different images of Jesus we're seeing in this. Isn't it a great study in the Old Testament? Don't you love it? I hope you do. It's it's so wonderful. But my goal here is to uh, give you an overview, and then we're going to take each um, study of the Ten Commandments when I get back. Pastor Chris is going to be teaching the next two Wednesday nights, so... You guys are going to be filled and enriching. Your lives will be enriching. You'll be edified with his teaching. And then when I get back, we'll go through each one of the Ten Commandments to really look at it and see how it applies to our lives. But let's just read. We're going to read all 17 verses. Here's the, the commandments. There's the preamble here in the very beginning, which really started in chapter 19. It just kind of continues here in, in uh, chapter 20. But let's just kind of read through it in verse 1. God spoke all these words saying. So Moses is relating what God had told him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Why did he say that? Because they just came from Egypt. What did they have all over Egypt? Gods. They're everywhere all the idols in Egypt. So God is reestablishing here. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who 
love me and keep my commandments. Again, there's man's volition, man's free will, choosing to follow, choosing to obey. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, your stranger who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Verse 12, honor your parents, your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. That's predetermined or predestined murder, to, uh, forethought, hate, and that brings murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. The covet is the commandment, but all the examples, neighbor's house, neighbor's wife, male servants, female servants, cars, things, boats, better wheels, all the things that you see in your neighbors. Christians, we're not to covet. Verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, scared them to death scared him. So Moses is being hearing all these things from the Lord, and they're hearing the voice of the Lord as well. And they're hearing it in this trumpet, in the sound. It's like nothing you've ever heard. Take a hurricane, multiply it. Take a typhoon, multiply it. The wind, the fire, the smoke coming from the mountain. And these people, two million at the bottom of the hill, they are freaking out. They're trying to hide. They're they couldn't get away from it. It's too loud. The sound went right through their little tents. It scared them. They're terrified here. And it says, notice, they trembled and they did what? What did they do? They stood afar off. They stood away from. Why? Why are they standing away? Because they are afraid. God is showing his power. Now, at the end of chapter 19, the children of Israel had just gotten to this mountain. It's taken them three months to get from exile of Egypt all the way to the foot of Mount Sinai. And now that's where they're there. God has brought them there. God has led them there. He's led them through the Red Sea. He's led them with a pillar of fire. He's led them with a cloud. God has brought them to that place. They didn't wander there. They didn't get there by chance. God has led them intentionally through some trials and testings, as you know, along the way. Now they're at the foot of the mountain there, and they're isolated in this desert in, in Saudi Arabia, which is Midian in your Bible. They're in this desolate place. If you, I don't know how many of you went online and looked at the video, The Mountain of Fire, or tried to check into some of the things I told you about last week about that one location, that, that Mount Al-Jaws. Uh, if you look at that, it's like, good grief. It's like, that's remote. There's no bushes. It's, it's just rock and mountains and and desolation there, and that's where they are. They're in the alone there in the desert, and that's where uh, God has led them. So they're at this mountain, and Yahweh has brought them to that place, and now they're experiencing the full power. They had experienced a partial power back in Egypt with some of the wonderful plagues, actually deadly plagues for the Egyptians, but for them, they, they saw God's power, but now they're experiencing up close and, and personal there at the mountain. And God is about to give them his laws. So that's where the display of power comes in. I, I, it's just, it's too hard for me even to, I, I thought about having the drummer start beating on his drums and turn it up really loud and the bass player rumbling the room. I mean, you, you just got to, if you've been in an earthquake, if you've been in a, you know, really uh, temp pestuous storm, if you've been in a place like that, that, just multiply that. That's where these people are. If you go back to chapter 19 really quick, I want you to notice something. It's in chapter 19, verse 16. 
because we get the same thing here in, in chapter 19. Verse 16, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings, lightnings, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of a trumpet was very loud, and all the people who were in camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. So they're afraid in the camp. And Moses said, come, come, you need to come to the foot of the mountain. You need to hear. God's going to speak. I want you all to hear God. And so verse 18 there of chapter 19, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it with fire. So Mount Sinai has become the temple, the dwelling place of God, the temple. As you move through the New Testament, God has a temple built for him in Shiloh and then Jerusalem. Those are the two places in the, uh, you'll see the, the uh, Jews had to come and worship the God at Shiloh and then in Jerusalem, the temple that Herod the Great built, the big old massive kind of enlarged Costco variety of the, the, the original Hebrew temple. It was rebuilt by Herod the Great, the one that you see the footprint of today. I've been there. You can see that. Uh, even today. But the people now are right there. They're, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. God has come, and he's on the mountain. So the place is like going crazy, shaking. And it must have been awesome to them to hear what they heard and see and smell and taste all of those things that they were experiencing there as God revealed himself on that mountain through smoke and fire and sound, all of those things. All of these things represent by the way, the sovereign power of God. All of these things are just a representation of God being there with the people. God is holy. He's righteous. And he's come now into the temple, and the people are they're, they're wretched. They're sinful. And he's, he wants them to tremble at his presence. He wants them to fear. Listen, you, if you don't have a holy fear of God, if you think you can just go through life and your sin is your own personal sin and whatever, you can do whatever and think whatever and say whatever and live in your own heart whatever, hate people, remember Jesus, lust after women, remember what Jesus said, it happens here, right? If you think you can do that and get away with it, then you have, do not fear God. That's a dangerous place for you as a Christian, by the way. Don't, if you find yourself there tonight like blase and like whatever, I'm here at church, whatever, if that's where you find yourself, I, I fear for you. You are in the presence of a holy and righteous God. You should fear him. You should know his awesome power because that, that's what helps you reverently worship and reverently serve him and desire to change your life to, to align with his purpose and plan, without which you'll just do your thing. You'll live your life. It's I fear for people like that because I see them slip off, fall off, backslide. If, you're, if you don't have a healthy fear of God, you need to have this fear these guys had. They were trembling in fear because God has, has come into their presence. Now, here's an interesting thing to note about the laws. God is going to give these laws to these people that are trembling. But the laws themselves are not given to produce salvation. The law's purpose is to help that individual see that they're not like God. God is not like you. He's not like me. He's nothing like you and I. He's holy, and he's righteous, and he only does good, and he's only gracious and loving. And yet mankind has a, has a bent, has a twisted view of everything because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And so God, his righteous demands, his judgment, his purpose is now going to be demonstrated through giving the law to show these people, not a way of salvation, but to show them that they need God, that they need his grace day by day. How many in this room right now would raise their hand and say, I need the grace of God today. I need it. I need it. Everybody should be that way. We need the grace of God because we are so wretched and twisted in all that we do. So God has come down now to these people, and they have no ability to measure up to his standards. And so God's going to give them a law. <clears throat> One pastor said this. Notice this quote behind me on the screen. We are not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. However, we are kept safe by them. Do you get it? 
No one is saved by keeping the law. You'll never meet God, be saved because you've been good. Behave. I've been behave. I, I've lived up to the tent. Remember the guy that came to Jesus said, I've, I've done it all. I've done it all. I, I, I've been studious. I've, been, I've lived the law and done it all. And Jesus says, well, you need to do one more thing. And he couldn't do it. Because you can't get righteousness from the law. The, can't, the Ten Commandments will not say, but if you live by them, you'll be safe. Because God, that's what God wants for you and I. That's why he gave the law to his people. He wants them to be safe. He wants them to prosper. I read about a little story in Sunday school, a little boy in Sunday school. <clears throat> he was all excited one Sunday about what he had learned. The teacher was teaching about the Ten Commandments. And when his dad asked him about it, he was so excited. He said, it was awesome, Dad. We learned about the Ten Commandos. I don't know about the commando part, but I think we can all agree God's commandos will keep you safe. God's commandments will keep you safe and secure. Commandments don't give us life or eternal life, but they guide our life, right? They, they, they're, they're, life's, they're rules for living. They give us peace and safety, and that's God's intention, giving us a lot. James gives a really good contrast and. Again, I'm giving you all these reasons why the law is coming. So we're not going to do like a verse-by-verse verse, uh, as much as I, I just really want you to get it. Uh, James 1, notice the long text here, but notice, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law, when you look at the law, when you compare yourself to these Ten Commandments, and I hope you do that. I hope each one of you will go home and read these again and compare yourself with the Look and let it be a mirror. Let that mirror just come right back at you really hard. Look intently. This is what James says. When you look at the perfect law of liberty and continue in it, and it's not forgetful here but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. In other words, the law is given to bless you. God wants to bless you. That's what We, we serve and love a, and know a blessing God. He sent his own son out of his great love for you and I. Exciting, wonderful. The result of looking at the law, even these old Ten Commandments in the Old Testament here, should be we, as believers, we should look at them and see ourselves as sinners. And then we respond. How do you respond when you're a sinner as a Christian? You just throw yourself on the grace of God, right? It's the law that reveals who you are. But it also reveals how gracious and loving and how God has provided a way. He's provided a way over and over and over. He's long-suffering. He's kind. He's forgiving. That's the God of the Old Testament. Yes, there's fire on the mountain and trembling in the camp. But God wants to bless his people by giving them these law. Paul tells us in Romans 5, notice this verse behind me here, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded what? More. Don't you love that? The law tells me I'm a sinner, and where sin abounds, the grace of God just shines through. Again, Paul's a great example of that. Paul, the the Christian killing, you know, marauder who went through Jerusalem dragging out women and children out of their house, th those that believed in the way, those that had come to Christ in Jerusalem, the Jews that converted. He was bringing them out. He had, he had authority from the temple. He was, he was a big wig. So he brought people out, held the coats of those that stoned Stephen. He, he was a killer. And yet God changed him into the, one of the most remarkable loving Christians the world's ever known. That's, that's the grace of God. Would you not agree? I love that truth. So here's my point about the laws in Exodus. Again, the law was given to show the children of Israel how sinful they were. And so the people now have gathered, chapter 19, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they hear and they see and they smell and they sense and they are afraid. They are terrified shaking in their boots at the bottom of the mountain. And the same thing could be said today. The law tells us what man ought to be. 
but grace tells us who God is. And we see that as we look at the law. Now, the Ten Commandments, as we look at them as a whole, again, I'm making key observations. So here's where I get a little bit more. I think this will be easier for you to follow. The content of the law wasn't new. So I want you to see this. These laws are not new. These laws have already been established. Um, They're ten laws, and they're given in a very formal way with God on the mountain, the people down below, etched into tablets of stone. They're given very formal to the people. But each one of these laws has already been revealed in the book of Genesis. And I know you guys studied Genesis with me on Wednesday. Now, that's what's so exciting about going verse by verse through the Bible. Those that teach series on the book of Exodus, and they do ten whole weeks on Exodus, or, or they do six parts through Genesis, and you get the whole book. And to me, it's like, <laughs> excuse me, I might go too slow for some of you, but you're not getting the whole counsel of God. And we are getting it because we're getting verse by verse. And I hope that you love that. I hope that you're, you're, you, you sense the importance of that for you as a believer. But the content of the law wasn't new. All Ten Commandments, they appear one way or another in the book of Genesis. The first one, let me show you. The first one concerning idols is in Genesis 35 verse 2. Jacob Commands his whole household in Genesis 35 to put away the foreign gods that are among you. He, that, so he knew that they aren't to have foreign gods. He knew that. That was a, an established law. The second, the second law corresponds with Genesis 31. Laban was talking to Jacob, why did you steal my gods? You're not to make them. My gods, I, he had made them. He had put them together. Thirdly, it's concerning the misusing of the Lord's name. Genesis 24, verse 3. And I will make you swear by the Lord. And this, this is a very interesting reference, but never is the name of the Lord to be misused. In this case, it wasn't, but there are cases where it was, and people would misuse the name of the Lord. So never. It was established in Genesis, the fourth concerning the Sabbath day, Genesis 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. We see that from the very beginning of the book of uh, Genesis. The fifth one about honoring parents, Genesis 27, verse 41. The days of mourning, my father, are near. In other words, there was a time to, to respect your elders, your parents, That's one example there in Genesis 27. The sixth concerning premeditated murder in Genesis 4. We know the story, the first murder in the Bible, Cain and Abel, where God says, where is Abel, your brother? And Abel, cursely and careless, he says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Remember that? He just murdered his brother. Murder was forbidden. The seventh concerning adultery, Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, what, what are you doing? Are you stealing my coat or whatever because you're his wife? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph knew that adultery was a sin against God. The eighth, being a thief, when Joseph placed the silver cup in his brother's bag of grain. Remember that story? It's in Genesis 44. Why did you steal my silver cup? Now, that was a setup, by the way, but everybody knew that stealing was wrong. It was wrong. That's the point. The ninth concerning bearing false witness, Potiphar's wife lied, as we know from the story. Genesis 39, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came to me. He, he came to me and he tried to rape me. Remember, that's, that was her story. She was lying. The tenth concerning coveting your neighbor's wife, Genesis 12, Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Remember, he says, she's my sister. She's my sister. Don't kill me. That's my sister. Wimp. He was such a wimp. He did it twice, too, remember, the, when we were studying. But here's the point. The, all of these ten laws, they, these aren't new. These are, are just extensions and specifically given to this people that have just come out of Egypt. They didn't have, you know, they had... Jacob. Joseph was really the the one. They probably heard about Joseph. Even hundreds of years later, they heard about Joseph and how he was, you know, second in command of Egypt, and he was one of them. He was their brother. He was a Hebrew. 
they probably knew about him, but they didn't know much more. And after several hundred years, they were basically an idolatrous people. So my point here is that the content of the law wasn't new. Number two, the content of the law was very, very personal. Now this, this point is important, meaning that God came specifically to the planet, to that location, to that mountain, to give laws to that specific group of people, Israel, and he did it in a way that made each one of them individually tremble in fear. Now, the, the, the Bible says that they, the nation trembled, but each one of those people were afraid there. They, tre- they trembled when they came in contact with the holy and righteous God. And, and that's really the point. He's God and we're not. That's the point. We're nothing like him. We better tremble at the mention of his name. The ultimate motivation for obeying the law was to be more like the Lord and less like yourself. Isn't that what we're doing following Christ? As disciples of Jesus, we're trying to be more like Jesus and less like me. Because me is not a good thing. Me is a, I'm just a sinner. Like Paul said, in my flesh, all sin. I'm wretched. I'm a wretched man. And Paul says that. I go, gee, I got no chance. But we do in, in Christ. We do in in the Lord, in in Jesus. So, again, these laws, they're very, very personal. In Leviticus chapter 20, notice this verse behind me on the screen. says, and you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. God has always desired from the beginning of time, to have a personal relationship with his creation. Do you you really understand that, church? Do you understand that God wants to have a personal relationship with you, that it's not just me standing here as your pastor, and then you guys are kind of a recipient of it? No, you have a personal relationship with God. That's God's plan from the beginning. When he walked with Adam in the garden, remember? Every day he walked with Adam in the garden. And Adam looked forward to that every day, except for that one day when he ate that fruit out of disobedience. That's the day he was hiding, remember? But every other day it was like, oh, I can't wait till 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, whenever it was, the cool of the day, the Bible says. I can't wait. God's coming. God's coming. I get to walk with God. God wants to have a personal (coughs) relationship with you and with me. He, He wanted it in the Old Testament. He gets it in the New Testament through his son, by the way. But that's been God's point all the time. He wants to have a personal relationship. When you read the Ten Commandments, you'll see this. I want to point this out. Go back to verse 2 in chapter 20. Notice the personal pronoun over and it's personal. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water of the earth. You, verse 5, shall not bow to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Do you get the idea here? God wants to have a personal one-on-one relationship. Again, this should excite you as a believer. As I studied this today, it was like another one of those, you know, get up and this is cool. God wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He knows you. He walks with you. He talks with you all day long. You have a hotline to heaven in prayer. You have a redeemer that saved you. He separated you from him. You got it made, Christian. That's the abundant Christian life that we've talked about throughout the New Testament, by the way. But the point of God having this personal relationship with us here is not a group. Now, he, he addresses them as a group, a nation, a nation of Israel, but individually, I believe, not as a group, but plural there, or not plural, but singular. That's what the you there is, intensely personal. God invites each one of these individuals now to be obedient, each one of them. And each one of them has this joy of serving the Lord. They can choose to obey God. They can choose to live by His commandments. They can choose to bring pleasure to the heart of God by being obedient to Him, by accepting His covenant. 
by obeying his laws. Does that sound familiar in the New Testament? God offers salvation through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to those who will receive, to those who will accept, to those who will choose to obey him. You have volition, you have will. The apostle John said this in 1 John 5, notice this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. In other words, it's a choice. And when we keep his commandments, it's a choice. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome or blessing. The Ten Commandments are a blessing. They keep us safe, right? If we live by them, we're safe. You step outside the Ten Commandments and commit adultery. You step outside the Ten Commandments and start bearing false witness against your neighbor. You step outside the Ten Commandments and, and lie or murder. Guess what? You're going you're gonna to yield those just rewards in your life. The seeds you sowed are going to what? Come back. The Bible's you know, clear with that message over and over. So, Point number one, the content of the law wasn't new. The content of the laws were personal. Number three, the content of the laws was God's standard. Again, this is the benefit of going verse by verse through the Bible and through Exodus because it helps us to connect all this together. And I hope, again, as we study weekly that you get that. Israel has just emerged from hundreds of years of bondage. They've been in an Egyptian culture. It's extremely pagan and uh, idolatrous. And God wants his people that had once been surrounded by polytheism. He wants them to know that there's one powerful God. He's proven it to him. He's shown this, all these miracles. He's already shown all those things to him. But now they have to trust him. Can you imagine? Joseph, who was that? He had a God. He used to love this God. But... As you walk around Egypt doing your daily tasks as an Israelite there, a child of Israel, hundreds of years later after Joseph had died and maybe the stories had died down in your household possibly, it's dry. It's, you're thirsty. There's no water. So you pray to the rain god because all the Egyptians did. Your poor wife is barren and the Egyptians have a god for a fertility. Let's go pray to that. Let's get one of those and put it in our house. These people were steeped in idolatry, these same children of Israel. And so God's going to take them, and he's going to separate them from every other culture by giving them ten laws. That's his purpose. That's why he's doing this. It's a code of behavior and, uh, for a brand-new culture. He's taking them out of this culture, and he's going to reform them and reshape them. Sounds a lot like what God does to you and I as a Christian, doesn't it? 2 Corinthians 5, notice this verse here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? You're new. Isn't that, isn't that a blessing? Old things have passed away. All things become new. Notice what God's doing to these people, giving them new laws, a brand new name, a brand new identity, a new culture with these new laws. But in the case of Israel, God is going to establish these moral uh, laws for their culture. And there are ten of them. Now, here's my next point here. The content of the laws are mainly positive. When we think of the Ten Commandments, most people think of them as, gee, your God's really narrow and he's negative. But again, the purpose of the law is to keep you and I safe. So there's a positive element, mainly positive element, throughout each and every one of them. The law that is given, and when you look at the law, you might see it as negative or controlling, but God's law brings freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. Freedom from bondage of all those to sin. When you live under God's law, you're free. You're free from those things. I love that truth, by the way. I think that's so important for us to understand. The only illustration I can give for that, I was thinking about that today, and it, it's really about marriage. The, the positive effect of a vow. When, when I 
stood with my pastor in the church here in San Bernardino in 1977. And I vowed to forsake all other women for this one. I made a vow. Now, some people see that as negative. You I mean, you're, you're going to give up on Sophia and Frida and Olga or whatever. You see what I mean? But giving up on that and focusing on this one, that's what God wants. So some people see it as a negative, but it's a positive. Do you understand what I'm communicating? The laws are made that way. They're, they're, there's a positive even though there's a negative command, there's a positive outcome of that command. As a parent, you, you parents with little ones, the number one word, I can guarantee you I know what it is in your house. It's no. It's don't do that. Right? Am I right? See, they're shaking their heads, the ones with little ones. And if you've had little ones, you know that to be true. No, don't. No, don't. Stop. No, don't. That's what you do. That's your vocabulary as a young parent. I remember I had five kids. We did that a lot. But here's the important point there. The no's and the don'ts are all good. No, don't touch that flaming coal in the fire. Why? Because you don't want them to burn hands. No, don't run in the street. Why? Because you want them to live. Get run over by a car. See, the po- there's a negative no, but there's a positive outcome. That's the way you should view this, the Ten Commandments. Don't let anyone confuse you and say, man, your God's a bummer. You know, he does the negative thing, says you can't do stuff. No. God gives us freedom in the nose. He gives us a positive message through the, this is not the best for you, don't do it. And I love that truth. It's so clear. The first four commandments are toward God, or God-ward, you would say. No other gods, no idols, no misusing God's name, and no work on the Sabbath. Those are all dedication and commitment to God. No other gods before gods. No idols in my house. No idols. That could be, by the way, idols. Think about idols in, in the 21st century. Idols. Cars home, job, things that you put before God, things, stuff, idols. God says, no, don't do that. No misusing God's name. No work on the Sabbath. The last six commandments are toward man. It helps us to get along with others. All of these laws honor your parents. Do not murder Don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, and do not covet. Don't desire something that you don't have. All of those are are really man-word. They have to do with relationship with man. When Jesus asked which commandments were the greatest, here's what he said. Notice behind me here, Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus, I'm a man of the law. What's, what are the greatest commandments? Maybe they thought he would quote the Mishnah from Deuteronomy 6. To love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Jesus says, to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he says this. This is the first and great commandment. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus says, hang all the law. If you don't get these two right, you're not going to have success with the others. But when you do these things right, all the other ones just fall into place. So the summarization there that Jesus gives, he's he's basically saying the essence of the law is love. Did, Did you see that? All the don'ts, all the stops, all the... Stay away from these things. No, 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 no. In the Ten Commandments, they have this positive effect. And Jesus summarizes them and says, listen, God is love. And you're to love him with all your heart and mind and soul. And then you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, it's a great summarization. The essence, really, of the law is love. 
If you really love the Lord with all your heart, you're not going to lie to someone. If you really love the Lord with everything, you're not going to covet your neighbor's stuff or your neighbor's wife. If you really love the Lord with all your heart, you're going to put away your idols. You won't take the Lord's name in vain. You'll honor his day. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's logical. You won't steal. You won't kill. You won't fornicate. You won't covet his stuff. Love is the greatest commandment. It's the greatest commandment. We as truth bearers, as Christians, should have the greatest mark. It should be all over us, and that should be love. So here's my, going over my points really quick. The, con- the content of the law wasn't new. The content was very personal. The content was God's standard, and the content of the laws are mainly positive. So here's the question now. Why should the believers study the Ten Commandments? And here's the answer. If I was to give you a test right now, how many of them would you know? Challenging. I had to ask myself that, and I, I, I didn't do very well. I, I mean, I, I got close, but I, I didn't do very well. I didn't do as well as I thought I would. And, the, you know, it's, there's surveys, surveys all the time, you know, by Barna and these other Christian groups. 97% of Americans say that the Ten Commandments are very important, but only 5% knew all ten. I mean, think about that. Why should the believer study the Ten Commandments? Because they're moral principles that lead to holy living and pleasing the Lord. That's why. Because God spoke them. And God expects us to live under his standard. But mostly, the reason I think we as a Christian should understand and study the Ten Commandments is because the Ten Commandments, when you study them and look at them, they'll bring you to Christ. They'll bring you right to the Lord. Because when you read the Ten Commandments, I'm going to ask a question. And I want you to answer this honestly with with the raise of your hand. Not fingers, but your hand. How many here have ever broken just one of the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. Just one of them. Now now you know why I said don't raise your fingers, because I'd have to go like this, right? I mean, if you really looked hard enough, you'd discover that. And if you didn't raise your hand, you just lied, so you just made my point, okay? So... When we read these Ten Commandments, the first thing that you discover is tremble at the bottom of the oh, I'm undone. I, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm sinful. My, my character, my, my ways, my thoughts, my heart, my mind, my motives, my actions don't live up to God's standards because God's law requires perfection. Romans 7, verse 7. Look at it. Here it is on the screen. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, Paul writes, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I, uh, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said so. You shall not covet. I wouldn't have understood that, Paul says. And he goes on in that text. But again, reading the law helps us understand that we're sinners. It's like a schoolmaster, the Bible says. It reveals our sin. And again, remember, Jesus said that sin isn't just the action you commit, but if you have looked at a woman, men, with lust in your heart, adulterer, you're guilty. If you have, this is kind of an interesting thought here, but if you have used uh, copyright on the Internet, you've used an image and put it on your little email to your friends without copyright, guess what you just did? Thief. Oh, I'm not a thief, Pastor Lee. I'm, I, I mean, if you, look, if you look, if you look and you get real critical, I have to get critical, especially when you make flyers, right? <laughs> we have to be careful at that. The law shows us that we're sinners. It shows us our sin. It makes us aware of this great need that we have, and God provides it in His Son, and it's called Grace. The law leads us to Jesus. It leads us to the grace of God. Without the law, I wouldn't know I needed a Savior. 
I wouldn't know I needed Jesus Christ. I, didn't, I wouldn't realize that. Paul says that in Galatians 3. Here it is. Therefore, the law was our schoolmaster, our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Our only hope for heaven is Jesus. and We see ourselves as a sinner. Jesus is the only one that obeyed every law perfectly, never sinned. He went to the cross in our place. He died with our sin. He paid the price. He paid the ransom. And it was his righteousness that he imputed spiritually. He gave it to you. He took your sin and he put his righteousness, the perfect righteousness of God, he placed upon you if you put your faith in him. It's a beautiful truth. It's a liberating truth. It's a glorious truth. It's a relaxing truth. I can sleep at night because I know that truth. Because I've come to Christ. I put my faith in him. And when you've done that, Jesus has done all these things for you. Scripture declares that you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to trust him. You have to put your confidence in him. It's not an intellectual assent about knowing the name Jesus. It's putting your faith in him. If you haven't done that, I urge you to do it. You need to do it need to do it right now so you can have the same hope that we have. But you have to come to God honestly. You have to come to God knowing that you're a sinner. The law helps you understand that you're a sinner and that you need the grace of God. And when you understand the purpose of God's law, which is my intention tonight as I lay out the foundation for our study through the Ten, the ten Commandments, when you understand the purpose of God's law, when you embrace it, when you believe it, And you understand his love for you and I. You'll say the same thing that David said. Here it is on the screen behind me. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the word. I feel so cleansed today for the opportunity to study and read Physically and mentally, Lord, it, it's exhausting. But oh, the joy. Oh, the joy, Lord, just knowing your word. And it delights me. As I read the Ten Commandments, Lord, it, it didn't make me fearful. It reminded me of who I was without Jesus. But it reminds me of the great sacrifice your son made for me. And I delight in your law, O oh Lord. May we as a church delight in your law as we study these Ten Commandments. As we study the book of Leviticus, I pray, Lord, that you'd bring the body out on Sunday night to study your word. Just to study it and to learn it and to grow in it. And I pray the outcome would be a congregation, would be an individual that has the love of God, loves God with all their heart, mind, and soul, and loves their neighbor as themselves. May it be so here in this church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.